morning, church family. Would you uh, turn to Matthew chapter 13, beginning verse 24, and follow along as we read God's holy word this morning. It says, He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nest in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels, just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth." Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. 
When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into a fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there. And coming to his hometown, he taught them in the synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Thank you, Pastor Gene. Thanks, man. I'll definitely need that this morning. You're going to want to hold your Bibles open there to Matthew 13, so kind of just keep your place there this morning. But it is good to be with you and good to continue to walk through this great chapter of Matthew 13 this morning. Uh, Obviously, from our stage, there's a big week coming up of VBS uh, starting tonight. All the parents and kids said, yeah, it's on you. So you be praying as uh, we sow the seed of the gospel into hundreds of young people's lives this week. You be praying for this army of volunteers that it takes to pull off VBS. So let me just say, if you're one of the many volunteers this week, God bless you. Thank you for your investment into the next generation this week of VBS. That'll be kicking off tonight, so really uh, looking forward to that. Well, Matthew 13, we've had a great time. We're going to continue on in this chapter. We began here last week. So let me ask a couple questions and set the stage, maybe review just a little bit, and then we're going to continue on in this chapter, really, that we could entitle The Parables of the Kingdom. Now, if I were to ask you, what is the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of heaven? How would you answer that question this morning? Or maybe if I were to say to you, how does the kingdom of heaven work today? Is, is the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, same thing? Is that something, is that a now reality? Or is that just a future reality that we long for? How does this kingdom of heaven work? What is it all about? You say, well, I, I'm not really sure. Well, we need to be sure because here's what Jesus says Matthew 6, of all the things we are to seek, he says, seek first, what? The kingdom of heaven. In other words, it is to be a prioritization of our lives, this kingdom, this king who has a kingdom, King Jesus. We're to pray this way, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus teaching his disciples to pray. He says, pray this, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Pray 
your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what is this kingdom of heaven? What what does all this mean? Well, Matthew 13 are parables of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus to the crowds is using parables to conceal truth to those that are disbelieving. We talked about that last week. He's using parables to reveal kingdom realities to his believing disciples and even to us today. Now, let me kind of set the stage even a little bit more for what we're going to look at this morning. And and let me do it this way. I think you would agree with the statement, um, misguided expectations can lead to severe disappointment. Amen? You say, I have no idea what you're talking about. Let me help. Misguided or misinformed expectations can lead to severe disappointment. Example, if for dinner tonight you're expecting Burger King and you get Chick-fil-A, you're going to be thrilled, right? Or at least I would be. It's much better than what I expected. But if tonight you're expecting Chop House and you get Chick-fil-A, you're going to be disappointed, right? Why? Same Chick-fil-A, what makes the difference? Expectation. Misguided or misinformed expectations can lead us to severe disappointment. Let me give you another practical example that you're all going to resonate with, or a lot of you at least. If you're here and you're married, you're going to resonate with this. Another place that these misguided expectations can show up, ready? First year of marriage. First year of marriage, sometimes we can go into this marriage, and I'll just say this. If in the first year of marriage you're expecting him to be this knight in shining armor who always smells great, cleans up all of his messes, is just kind all the time, is just an incredible angel from heaven, you're going to be somewhat disappointed, right? You're going to find out he's he smells, he makes weird noises, morning breath is a reality. Uh, expectations have to be managed appropriately. But if you go into marriage realizing, hey, I'm marrying a broken vessel who is in the process of sanctification, we are under construction together, it is going to cause much less disappointment and disillusion the first year of marriage. And why do you say all that? Well, I need you to get this this morning in Matthew chapter 13. The disciples that Jesus is teaching about the kingdom to, every one of them have clear expectations of what they think the kingdom of God is going to be like. They have clear expectations because they've been taught from their youth as a Jewish boy. They've been taught to expect the king and that when this king arrives, he's going to usher in his visible kingdom on earth. They've been expecting it their whole life. They've been taught it their whole life. Let me just give you some examples. If you were one of these disciples here, Peter, James, and John, here's probably what you've been taught growing up. Zechariah chapter 14 says, Behold, a day is coming for the Lord, and the Lord will be king of all the earth. They've been taught Jerusalem will dwell in security. Well, they're standing in front of their king, and Jerusalem is still under Roman opposition. That's not what they expected. 
Jesus, their, their king, they're looking at, never even leaves the confines of the area of Palestine. There's no king of all the earth yet. I don't get all this. Go on, the Bible says this. All the nations will go up and worship this king, the Lord of hosts. First Samuel says, the adversaries of the Lord shall be broken into pieces. See, the Jewish expectation is, is when the king arrives, he's going to visibly establish his kingdom. He's going to crush all of his enemies. He's going to make everything right. We've been taught Psalm 72 that says he will have dominion from sea to sea, from river to river. Blessed is his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with the glory of the Lord. And they're longing for that and they're waiting for that. Watch. And in that context, Jesus, instead of crushing his enemies, establishing his throne, restoring Israel to its place of glory, he has told them he's going to die. It's not what they expected. So in managing these expectations, you come to Matthew 13, and particularly verse 11, Jesus says this, And he answered them, To you, speaking to those disciples, it has been given to know the secrets. That word secret we talked about last week is this word mysterion. It's not some super sleuth crime story. It's this idea. I'm going to teach you, fellas, something about the kingdom that up until now was not completely revealed. You haven't even been taught it yet. God hasn't revealed these realities of the kingdom. He said, to you now through these parables, I'm going to teach you the secrets, the realities of the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to teach you more than you knew. I'm going to give you deeper understanding. I'm going to give you a PhD, if you will, in the kingdom of heaven to these believing disciples. And hence, you have these seven parables that we find in Matthew 13 13, that are to deepen our understanding of this kingdom of heaven, this kingdom of God. Big truth last week as we looked at it was this. God graciously reveals kingdom truth to the believing while at the same time he conceals truth from the unresponsive and the unbelieving. We looked at that last week. Hence the parables. He's concealing from those who say I've, I, I, the unresponsive and believing, but he's revealing to those who are in faith, trusting this king. They don't understand everything. This is not quite the way we expected it, Jesus. Where is your throne? Why have you not yet defeated your enemies? Rome is still in control. Why are not all the nations of the earth coming to worship? What is going on here? He's going to teach them through these parables an understanding of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Now remember, last week we said the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, as it's defined here, is God's redemptive rule and reign in Christ Jesus. It is us living now under and in the realm of the rule and reign of King Jesus. If Jesus is king by faith and repentance, you've turned to king, to him as your king, your life, your Lord, your Savior, then you are a part of the kingdom of heaven now. But at the same time, there is a future reality to the kingdom of heaven The kingdom of God, when the king will return, we've sung about it this morning, come Lord Jesus and make everything right, restore justice, bring the new creation, all of that is in the future. So here's what I want you to hear this morning. 
These parables are helping us understand how we live now between the first coming of Christ, the cross, and the second coming of Jesus, the crown. How do we live today? How's your kingdom operating today? I give seven parables. We looked at the first one last week. I'm not going to take a lot of time to review this. You can read this on your own. But last week we looked at parable number one, the sower and the seed. Remember that? The farmer goes out to sow. And the disciples are asking, how does the kingdom of God advance? And he uses this parable of this farmer who goes out to sow the seed. And Jesus says the seed represents the truth, the word of God. Ours is to sow the seed of the word of God now. The kingdom of God in the lives of men and women grows and advances by the sowing of the seed. The seed is the word. He said the seed is going to fall on different types of soil. It's going to fall on unresponsive soil sometimes. Sometimes it's going to fall on divided hearts, thorny soil. Sometimes it's going to fall on superficial soil. But sometimes the seed of the word falls on this prepared soil. And that seed bears fruit 30, 60, 100 fold that lasts. The takeaway last week from that parable was simply this. God's kingdom advances through the faithful proclamation of truth. Therefore, sow the seed. Sow the seed. This week in VBS, we're going to be sowing the seed into the lives of hundreds of young men and women, trusting that God will bring a great fruit and a harvest in their lives. Sow the seed. And he continues on, and he gives us several other parables. He says, Pastor Mike, it took you a whole week to do one, and we're going to do six more today. Well, that, that first one is really the most important. They all kind of flow out of that first one. So let me, let me give you the second parable this morning back in verse 24. It's this. Parable number two, the wheat and the tares. It's probably the way you've heard it taught before. The wheat and the tares. And here's the question the disciples are asking. Lord... Why does evil still exist? Coming out of this parable, they heard, okay, 25%, if you will, are going to respond, but there's another 75% that are not going to respond. We're understanding that when the king comes, he's going to deal with his enemies and judge evil and purge the earth of wickedness. Why hasn't that happened, Lord? Does it make sense? This is not what we expected. Jesus teaches them this parable, verse 24. Pastor Gene just read it. I want to walk through it again quickly. It says this, He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. Another farming parable. It says, But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds in his field. Now, real quick, if you want to write your Bible, that word weed is the same as the word tear, as some of the translations have it. It, it, it could be translated, the word literally is darnell. Darnell in that culture is this weed that will often grow up next to the wheat and looks just like the wheat. Can't even tell the difference. And the only way you can tell the difference is when the two come to maturity and the darnell produces these these dark seeds, and it becomes obvious at the time of maturity that it's not wheat, it's a weed. So Jesus says this man has come in and sown all these weeds among his neighbor's wheat. Verse 26, so when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. Maturity. 
And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? How this happened? This was not the plan. Verse 28, he said to them, an enemy has done this. He said, was that a common practice in that day? Well, it sure was. In fact, there was a Roman law against it. If you really wanted to get at your neighbor and his crop, you would go into his crop and sow weeds in his crop. He says, an enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, middle of verse 28, this is key. Then do you want us to go and gather them up? Do you want us to go do something about these weeds now that are in the middle of your field? Continue on, but the landowner said no, verse 29. Lest in gathering the weeds you will root up the wheat among them. No, it's not time. That's the point. Let both grow together, verse 30, until the harvest. And at the harvest time, the owner of the field says, Then I'll send the reapers. And I'll tell them to gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. And maybe you've read that parable and you scratch your head. You say, What in the world is going on here? I don't get this. Or maybe you've been taught this parable before that it's talking about the church. And sometimes you have weeds and you have tears in the church and you can't tell the difference. And by the way, Jesus says, This is not about the church. In fact, in just a minute, he says, No, no, the field is the world. So, so what's the point here? Well, that's why in verse 36, look how the disciples respond then he left the crowds jesus and went back into the house and i love this verse 36 mark this in your bible and his disciples came to him we said it last week and you see this over and over in the teaching of the parables true disciples always pursue jesus and pursue truth they don't say well we just don't understand maybe i'll figure it out no they are in pursuit of christ his kingdom and truth. They came to him. Michael Green, one commentator about this, I love this. He says, the parables reveal truth to those who are hungry and conceal truth from those who are too lazy to look for it. <laughs> Disciples are hungry to grow. They're hungry for truth. That's the mark of genuine discipleship and the work of the Spirit in our lives. So they come to Jesus. They say, explain this parable about the weeds of the field. We don't get it, Jesus. Help us. He says, verse 37, okay. He answered, he said, the one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. That's him. The field is the world. Now, certainly within the church, there are at times you can't tell the difference between the weed and the, the tares, and there are those who pretend to be Christians, and they're really not. That is a reality. We know that, but that's not the point of this parable. Hang with me. And the good seed is the sons of the kingdom, those true believers. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, those who don't believe, the unbelieving world. Verse 39, the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is at the end of the age. The reapers are the angels. This is a future reality. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be when? At the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels. They will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers. 
question. Will there be a day when the king deals with all the sin and injustice and brokenness of this world? Yes. We long for that day. But not yet. It's not yet. Verse 42, he goes on and he says, And they will be thrown into the fiery furnace in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then... The true believers, the righteous, will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Okay, Pastor Mike, this is a lot for us to get our minds around this morning about how the kingdom is operating right now, the kingdom of heaven. I'll give you two big ideas, we're going to go on to the next parable. There's a lot here. Can I just give you an honest side note? We could spend a week on every parable easy. We're not going to do that. Give you two big ideas that flow out of this parable. Big idea number one is this. God purposefully determines that believers and unbelievers exist in the world side by side. Side by side. See, remember the disciples and their expectation of the kingdom is this. If the king is really here and the the kingdom is growing and being established, you're going to judge all of your enemies now. You're going to rid the world of all evil now. And Jesus says, hold on, that is coming in the future, but not now. That's one of the reasons probably John the Baptist had a little bit of trouble with the ministry of Jesus. And remember, John the Baptist sent to Jesus and said, listen, I see what's going on. I see all this, but are you really the one? Why are you allowing so much evil? John from prison being put there by Herod, an evil, wicked man. If you're really the king, why have you not dealt with evil yet? Why have you not judged the evil ones yet who have not believed? And Jesus said, there is a day that is coming in the future, but for now, it is my purposeful plan that in the world, believers and unbelievers will exist side by side in the world. You get that? The the disciples didn't understand that. They didn't understand that's the way the kingdom dynamic works. In other words, I want you to hear this this morning. This is huge. That does not mean we exist in passive conformity to the world. That's not what this means. It does mean, or it doesn't mean that we live in what is called loving acceptance of all that is in the world. That's not it. It doesn't mean that we create little holy subcultures and we withdraw from all the evil of the world and wait for our Lord to come. He says, no, it is my purposeful plan that you believers exist side by side in the world with unbelievers. Why? So that with loving, incarnational, seed-sowing ambassadors, you will rightly, rightly represent our king in this fallen world. You are salt and you are light. And in this present age, he has determined that you will exist and dwell right next to the unbelievers. Not conforming to them, but to see them as a missional field and to take the message of the love of Christ. See, if we don't get this kingdom, we ta- or this kingdom reality, we will take on a militant idea that all the evil are to be crushed. Now listen to me. And we will forget 
the wicked that are out there that don't believe what we believe, don't say what we say, don't practice the lifestyles we practice, are enemies and will forget it's your mission field. It's your mission field. Jesus says, my Father, God has purposely determined that believers and unbelievers will exist in this world side by side. Second big idea that comes out of this is hugely important for us. God mercifully delays certain future judgment for now. For now. So you need to understand something. Every day that passes that Christ does not return and establish his kingdom and rid the world of all evil is another day of immense mercy to those who have not yet believed. See, I didn't say that. That's what Peter says. Evidently, Peter gets this, what Jesus is teaching here. He writes about it later in his letter, 2 Peter. He says this, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. Some were saying, well, where is the coming of the Lord? Is he ever going to return? You ever heard anybody say that? Do you think he's ever coming again? I mean, he's waited so long. What's going on? And Peter says, listen, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Every day that the Lord delays his coming is an act of mercy to those who have yet believed. Let me, let me ask you a question. How many of you are deeply grateful that he did not come five years ago because you would have been lost in your sin? How many of you have people you are praying for today? Maybe a child, maybe a neighbor, maybe a friend, and you're pleading, Lord, delay. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for one more day that in your grace you may draw them to yourself and they may inherit eternal life. God's delays in this age are an act of his immense mercy. Amen? We're grateful. Jesus goes on. He teaches a few more parables. That was parable number two. The first two parables are the longest. These others are a little bit quicker. So, all right, Lord, I, I think I get that. I get how the kingdom is, is growing through the sowing of the, the seed. I, I get that it's not time for judgment yet. That, that's coming. But now in your patience, you're delaying. And we are to dwell side by side with those in the world to be incarnational missionaries. I get that. Parable number three. He takes this idea of judgment and he takes it a little bit further so that we are clear there is a true day of judgment coming. Verse 47 i got to be honest with you, the next few verses are not easy to listen to. They're not easy to read. Maybe you've read them. And it's verse 47, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore. Now, everybody in that day, especially around the Sea of Galilee, understood fishing analogies. This is a parable that everybody gets about how you draw in the fish in the net. He says, men drew it ashore and sit down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the evil from the righteous. And they will throw them into the fiery furnace. And in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Listen, brothers and sisters, that's a heavy passage. It's intended to be a heavy passage. 
these disciples who are waiting for this righteous judgment of the king. And there's this idea, it may be delayed, we don't know how. Jesus comes back and says, but you be sure, here's your big idea. God's righteous judgment will occur. And hell will be forever. God's righteous judgment will occur one day and the reality of hell will be forever. The Bible, without apology, declares a future righteous judgment. Lest you read this and you go, how is that fair? It is a righteous judgment from a righteous king on rebels who refuse to respond in faith and repentance. It's a righteous judgment on those who are without Christ and trusting their own merits and in our own sin. We're born that way. And the Bible, without apology, declares that reality. John MacArthur says, The dragnet of God's judgment moves silently through the sea of mankind and draws all men to the shores of eternity for final separation to their ultimate destiny, believers to eternal life, and unbelievers to eternal damnation. There is a dimension of the kingdom of heaven when he will make everything right. But understand, when he makes everything right, that means ridding the world of all evil and of all evildoers who have not responded in faith and repentance. There is a day for his righteous judgment. Now listen, brothers and sisters, we have no option but to hold on to this doctrine. The Bible makes it clear. We don't get to talk about whether we believe in hell or not. Jesus doesn't give us that option, but let me encourage you in something. Let's be like D.L. Moody, who never preached on hell from his pulpit in Chicago without weeping as he talked about it. It's a reality that should bring us to weeping and brokenness to sow the seed of the gospel of those who do not know Christ. Parable number three, the net, there will be a future judgment. Parable number four and five, these two go together. Now it's heavy. Kingdom realities. He goes on, he says, let me teach you some other things about the kingdom. Verse 31, let's back up. I know I'm not going in order, but I'm trying to pair these parables together. Parable four and five is about a mustard seed and about leaven. And this parable seems to answer the question the disciples have to be asking is, all right, we're here, we believe you're the king, we're looking around, and we got to be honest with you, Jesus, it's just us. I mean, why does the kingdom at this point, his disciples, I'm sure, have to be thinking, seem so small and so insignificant? Jesus answers that with this parable, verse 31. He says, he put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. Now, again, if you're not a farmer, you say, all these farming analogies. Here's what I know. Evidently, the mustard seed is really, 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 really small. In that day, it would have been known as the smallest of all seeds. So Jesus, in his brilliance, says, okay, let me tell you what the kingdom is like. Take a mustard seed. It's like that. But then that mustard seed, verse 32, the smallest of all seeds, when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes this massive tree so that the birds of the air can make their nests in its branches. 
Jesus is taking this mustard seed analogy and he's saying, listen, I know the kingdom of heaven seems so small right now. It's implications on the earth. The rule and reign of King Jesus, but there is a day coming when it will be global. Global in its scope and global in its breadth. It will fill the earth. One day, Revelation 7, 9 will become a reality. We sang about it this morning. Remember, at this point, and the disciples are sitting there, and there's, there's 11 of them, 12 counting Judas. There, there's a few others that have followed. Even post-resurrection, there's only 120 believers who gather there in that upper room, and they've got to be looking around and going, the kingdom of heaven looks so small. But then Revelation 7, we know there is a day coming when there will be a great multitude that no one can count from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language standing before the throne of God. Too numerous to count. And that's the idea, big idea. The first one is this, God's kingdom impacts the entire earth. There is an external breadth to the kingdom of heaven. 2,000 years later, since then, the gospel of the Lord Jesus has penetrated almost every quarter of the globe. Not completely. There's still unreached regions. But even today, in countries like China, almost 100 million believers. The disciples could not even get their minds around that. It seems so small. It seems so insignificant. And Jesus says it may seem small now, but it will have global impact. And we know that to be true See, why did he teach about leaven or yeast? What's that all about? Verse 33, he says he told him another parable. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was leavened. Again, maybe you don't know a lot about farming. Maybe you don't know a lot about baking. That would be actually me. But the idea here, evidently, leaven, when you put it into bread, that leaven will slowly but most certainly permeate into every part of that bread. And that's the point that Jesus is trying to say. that The, the, the kingdom of God Yes, it is global in its scope, but to those who are a part of the kingdom, it permeates and transforms every part of our lives. So the other big idea that goes along with this is this. The first one was God's kingdom impacts the entire earth. Here's your other one. God's kingdom transforms the entire person. The truths of the gospel, the truths of God's word, his rule and reign in our lives permeates every single area of your life brothers and sisters if Jesus is king he is king of all he is king of the entire world and he is king of all of us I'm quoting now the rule and reign of Jesus the kingdom starts off in our lives as a seed of truth slowly works its way through our thoughts our beliefs our affections our motives our desires and our actions and then it works through us into the lives of others and through them into the lives of still others in this slow yet for sure divinely powerful way. The kingdom spreads throughout the world from inside out, transform life to transform life. And you got to understand that those disciples who were standing there were thinking, it's just us. <laughs> This looks pretty small. This looks pretty insignificant. Jesus is saying there is a day coming that the kingdom of heaven will fill the earth. And the kingdom of heaven does not advance in 
military might. It does not advance in legislative rule of a government. The kingdom of heaven advances, watch this, from one transformed life to the next. That's the way the kingdom of heaven advances. That's the way the kingdom of heaven operates in your life, in my life, and in the world today as we know it. It teaches these parables about the scope of the kingdom of heaven and how the kingdom of heaven is advancing and that there is a day that judgment is coming, but not yet. And we are to sow the seed of the truth today and trust God for fruit and a harvest. And then the last two parables go together. And I'll do these last two and we'll be finished this morning. So he comes to, verse, or he comes to parable number six and seven, and it's the parables about the treasure buried in the field and the costly pearl found by the one who was seeking it. And the purpose of this parable, as best I can discern, seems to be all right, the disciples are weighing what the next 20, 30, 40 years of their ministry is going to look like and this kingdom that starts so small. And you're, you're, You've called us to go sow the seed and you've called us to lay down our lives for this thing called the kingdom. And I imagine they've got to be thinking in their minds, maybe something like this, Lord, is all this really worth it? And Lord, we're a small minority here that is believing you to be the king. Is all of this really worth it? Verse 44, and he gives them two parables really to answer the question of the immense value of the kingdom of God. The king and his kingdom, verse 44. Kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and he covered it up. You say, it seems kind of weird. Why in the world would you do that? Well, remember, this is 2,000 years ago. You only rightly interpret this in the context it was written 2,000 years ago. No banks, no cryptocurrency. You know, you can move your stuff around online and all that. You got a lot of money. You want to keep it from robbers. The best thing you can do is you find a field that you own. You go out and you dig a big hole and you bury that treasure. Happen all the time in this culture. Everybody understood this. This man comes along. He stumbles upon this treasure and the value of what he finds, verse 44, he goes and sells all he has and he buys that field. And the idea is this, this treasure that has been found is of such value, I'm willing to, I'm willing to let go of anything that I might gain this treasure. That's the idea. It goes on, verse 45, and again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant who searches for fine pearls. And that means something to you ladies that it doesn't mean to us guys. But let me assure you something. In this culture, in this day, nothing was perceived more valuable than a pearl. Pearls were the expression of great wealth or great value. Listen, there were tons of stories in history of what men would do to mine the shores of pearls. They would literally tie these massive rocks on their back and be dropped down into the water to find clams to get out these pearls. And they could only find one or two pearls, priceless. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value goes and sells everything he has and he buys that pearl. 
There's immense value of the kingdom of heaven. He says it's greater than any treasure you'll ever find. Has greater value than any pearl that you might come across. Two big ideas that come out of this quickly this morning is this. Number one, God's kingdom surpasses any and all earthly treasure. There is nothing greater than the king and his kingdom. The king and his kingdom. And Jesus, to those disciples who knew it was going to cost them everything, who were called to lay down their lives, who were called to go and sow the seed, who had left families and homes and everything, and are saying, Lord, is this even worth it? He is saying this, there is nothing greater than living in the joy of submitting to the rule and reign of King Jesus now. seem to answer another question here quickly and we'll close with this is not only the value of the kingdom is how does one enter the kingdom Jesus answers it here he seems to say that God's kingdom costs us all we have in other words we, we don't buy our salvation we never earn our salvation the cost was paid by Christ on the cross and him, him alone. But at the same time, it seems to say that coming to Christ, coming to the King, a transaction takes place, an exchange where we give all that we are, all that we have in exchange for all that He is and all that He has. And Jesus sums it up this way. He said, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. The kingdom and our Christ is of such great value and such great joy. There is nothing greater. There's nothing too great to lay down for him, for his glory. Jesus says, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Who's in the kingdom? those true disciples of Jesus who have denied themselves they've repented of their sin in faith they have clung to this Christ and him alone and they follow him and it's there we find life it is there you find life seek first the kingdom of heaven and all these other things will be added to you Today, the King has come and He has died that we may have life. And in this present age, we are a part of the kingdom and we sow the seed and we make Him known while we look and we wait for the return of our great King to make everything right and to bring the new creation. And to that we say, come Lord Jesus. Father, thank you for this truth. Thank you for the kingdom. Thank you for giving us understanding of who you are and how this incredible thing called the kingdom of heaven is working today. We love you. We need you. We praise you. In Christ's name, amen. Stand.